Mark chapter 7, found on page 1010. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered round Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the commands of God. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding onto human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curse their father or their mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are very thankful this morning that you are a God who desires a relationship with each one of us and that you have spoken to make that relationship possible. And so please help us listen to you and so enjoy that relationship this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, we're currently making our way through a, a little series on the Reformation. And uh, one of the slogans we're thinking about this morning is Sola Scriptura, which in English means Scripture alone. And here's a little summary of the idea that I find helpful. Some people would say that God speaks through mystical experience or through the authoritative teaching of the church. But Martin Luther said that Scripture alone is the one true place where God's voice is heard. The one true place where God's voice is heard. So Martin Luther and the Reformers clearly thought there was a difference between God's words and human words. And that's what we're thinking about this morning. This difference between the Word of God and purely human words. Now, whenever I tell people that I'm a Christian and I try and persuade them that Christianity is true, sometimes the conversation goes quite badly because they're offended. And they say, how can you possibly say Christianity is true? Or how can you possibly say that you know 
the truth. And they're quite offended because they know that if I claim to know the truth, then I'm saying that other people are wrong. And they think, well, what if all the other religions in the world? What if atheism? How can you possibly know that those are not true? Well, wouldn't it be better, surely, if we just respected other people's views? Especially people who are sincere about what they believe. Think of all the religions in the world and the people who follow them. Aren't they sincere and devoted? That's what matters. Sincerity and integrity. Well, that's what people say to me. But here's the question I want to ask. Is it possible to be completely sincere Is that even possible? It's a tall order, isn't it? It's a high ask to have 100% integrity. So imagine you're off building orphanages in Eastern Europe. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? A very good thing to do. But could I do that with complete sincerity? Or would there be a little bit of self-congratulation in it? Can I be completely sincere? That's the question that lies behind Mark chapter 7 and what Jesus has to teach us here. Now remember, we're thinking about this difference between God's words and human words. And it kicks off here in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and they see his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, what's bothering the Pharisees here? Are these guys just obsessed with things being clean? Are they obsessed with hygiene? Are they the kind of guys who, if they come to my house, they're going to be very uncomfortable? Because I live with 11 other guys, and hygiene just isn't up there in terms of priorities. Are the Pharisees the kind of guys who just would not come to my house because they're afraid that the disciples are going to catch E. coli or salmonella? Is this hygiene? No, it's not. They're not concerned with cleanliness. They're concerned with cleanness. They're concerned with things being washed and clean because they're trying to honour God. And they think that the way to honour God is by cleaning things. Here we have a group of people who have an apparent concern for honouring God and the thing is, are they honouring him? Well, if you ask them, they'll say yes, they think they are. And what's more, they're pretty diligent about it. Just look at the bit in brackets, verse 4. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Every time they go down to the market, they wash their hands. And remember back then, there's no such thing as fridges. You have to go down to the market again and again, and every single time, wash your hands. And then there's this other stuff of washing cups and washing pitchers and washing kettles. Why this obsession with cleaning things? They're trying to honour God. And they think that they can honour God by cleaning these things so they're not defiled. It's about honouring him. And one of the things this passage is going to teach us is that they don't. 
Well, that's shocking, isn't it? It's really shocking. Martin Luther, during the Reformation, spotted something really, really important in the Bible. He said, do you know, the problem isn't really the bad things that we do. The problem is the good things that we do. The issue isn't the best of our lives. It's actually the worst. The, it's not the worst of our lives, sorry. The issue is the best of our lives. It's the things that we think are virtues. Now, what do people in society think are good things today? Well, as a society, we're trying to get rid of racism. And that's a very good thing to get rid of. We're trying to treat men and women equally. And that's a very good thing. As a society, we give people the right to express themselves and speak and have a vote. And that's a good thing. So as a society, we can sort of pat ourselves on the back and say, well, we're doing good things. And yet Martin Luther says those good things can become a trap and get in the way of us actually having a relationship with God. Martin Luther says our good intentions are a problem. And that's what we've got here in Mark chapter 7. We have people who are honouring God doing good things, apparently. Apparently. Because look at Jesus' evaluation of them in verse 6. He says, Isaiah was right whenever he prophesied about you and your hypocrites because these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain because they're teaching the traditions of merely human rules. Just look at verse 7. Look at it very carefully. How do they worship God? They worship him in vain. What kind of a relationship is that like? These people worship me in vain. Isn't it shocking? And the shock is that this is said to people who are completely sincere, painstakingly sincere. And if you ask them, they'll say they're worshipping God. And God says, they're not. Now, how has this happened? Well, you'll see what they've done there in verse 8. In verse 8, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And it continued in verse 9, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. So what has gone on here is a process of substitution. Substituting human words in place of God's words. So that they don't obey God, but they obey human beings. Obeying human traditions and their own traditions. And the key is that they've substituted God's words and human words. So of course the question for us this morning is, where do we think we might be doing that? So as an individual, where might you have substituted your own words or the words of other people for God's words? And us as a church, where might we be doing that?
when we stop to think about it, it's actually very difficult to try and spot exactly where we're doing that. But we do it, don't we? So when science appears to say something that contradicts what the Bible says, I feel a temptation to set the Bible aside and say, well, this must be true. Although that conflict between science and Christianity isn't quite there. It's just apparent. Or when public opinion says something about human sexuality, isn't there a strong tension to substitute God's words for what humans say? I'm sure you feel that tension. And I'm sure you feel the temptation to say, well, it's just not a big deal. Why does this really matter? Does it really matter? Well, here in Mark chapter 7, Jesus makes a big deal of it. In fact, you might find yourself thinking, why is Jesus so upset about this? Why does he make such a big deal of it? Why does he offend these people? These sincere religious people who are doing good things. Why is he prepared to offend them and say these things? Well, Jesus says it matters because he sees there's a difference between God's words and human words. And the the important thing and the thing I want you to see is that it's Jesus who sees that. You see, it's pretty hard to tell the difference between God's words and human words. Who can do that? Who can possibly tell? See, you find yourself at an event and someone stands up and they says, I have a word of God for you. Is it a word of God? That's the question. It might be. It could be. But is it? How could you possibly tell? I find it incredibly difficult to tell the difference. I struggle to do it, and actually, I cannot tell the difference between them. And the reason is because I don't know God that well. So I'm only a human being. I'm limited. I don't know everything there is to know in the world. I don't know God that well. And I'm also sinful or fallen. And I tend to twist what God says. And so I don't know God that well. And so I find it hard to tell, is this really God speaking? Or is this just a human being speaking? But God's own son, Jesus, who is perfect and not sinful and who is not limited and who knows his father, he is able to tell the difference between what is God's word and what is a human word. And Jesus says there is a difference. And it's because Jesus, the Son of God, says there is a difference that I have to say that. Otherwise I have to say that Jesus is wrong. And if he says there's a difference, then that is why it matters. I have three letters here from my bank. Here's the first letter. Uh, Apparently from my bank it's handwritten. And it says, Dear Richard, this is a letter from your bank. Please send us your account details. Now, do you think this is a genuine letter from my bank? I suspect it isn't. I'm not going to send them the details. 
Now what about this one, the second letter, number two? Well, it's better, it's typed, it's got the, the letterhead. Uh, it looks good, and it's not saying something stupid like give me your details, it's saying something that a bank would say. And it's signed by Chris, the bank manager. Is this really a letter from Chris? Possibly. But I've got a third letter that looks quite similar, and it's got the letterhead, it's typed, and says the same sort of stuff. But it's signed by Peter, the bank manager. So is it Chris or is it Peter? It's clearly not number one. But is it number two or number three? Well, how can I tell the difference? How can I tell which is a genuine word and which is a fake? Well, what if my brother knows the bank manager? And he says, well, the bank manager's called Peter and I know him, he's my friend. Well, then someone who knows the author comes and says, I know him, and this is the genuine letter from Peter. The letter from Chris is a fraud. Isn't that what we have with the Bible? When the Son of God comes into the world and he says, I know the Father, and this is a word from him, you can trust it. Jesus has validated God's word for us. But why does it matter? Why have I bothered to take 20, 30 minutes this morning to talk about this? Why does it matter? Because the stakes are so high. The stakes are so high because if I start honouring God with purely human words, then I worship him in vain. Imagine you've been invited to a friend's house for dinner and they're making a chilli con carne and they say to you, how do you like the chilli? Do you, do you take a lot of chilli? Do you like it very hot? Or maybe you don't like chilli at all. Well, the success of that dinner is going to depend on how they listen to you. And actually the success of that friendship, that relationship, will depend on whether they listen to you or not. So you say to your friend, well actually, I can't really handle the chilli very much. Don't put any in. But your friend thinks, well, you really should like it. And so they take extra hot chilli powder and they pour it in and they pour more in and they think, this is great, they're going to love this. They haven't listened. How's that relationship going to go? Is that friendship going to last? It's pretty insulting when someone doesn't listen to what we like. How insulting do you think it is for God? when we insist on worshipping him on, his, on our terms rather than based on what he has said. That's why it's a crucial distinction. That's why we have to see the difference between God's word and human words. And it's based on the fact that these words come from two different people. One comes from God and one comes from men or women. Human beings, what are we like? Well, we're imperfect. We're limited, as I said, as creatures. We're sinful. And isn't that the point of those awful things in verses 21 to 23? They weren't read, but just look at them, verse 21. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, and so on. 
Those are the human hearts that produce human traditions. So, of course, those human traditions are not going to be great. How could they be anything else? Human traditions come from human hearts. But God is perfect. God is good. He's not sinful. He's not limited or fallen. He knows us perfectly and he wants to know us. And he wants a relationship with us. And so he's given us a perfect word. Communication so that we can know him. And we've got to think about it. We've got to think... Do I really want to listen to what God says based on what God is like? How good he is? Or do I want to listen to what humans say about God given what they're like? Well, put like that, I've got to prefer, prefer God's words, don't I? God has given you a word. It's very clear. He wants a relationship, so don't shortchange yourself by putting a human word in its place. Because if you do, that will inevitably destroy your relationship with God. And no matter how sincere you are, you'll be like the host pouring the chili into the dinner, thinking that the person should like it, but as you do it, killing the relationship. We know that. Why would we think it's any different with God? Friends, this is why Martin Luther and the Reformers insisted on Scripture alone. They insisted there is a difference between God's Word and human words. Because Jesus insisted on that. And he was able to tell the difference because of who he was, the perfect Son of God. And so we would do well to listen to him. Let me pray. Father, we confess that we are tempted sometimes to listen to ourselves, listen to other people, rather than listening to you. And we confess that that is terrible for our relationship with you. And yet, you offer us forgiveness, and so we pray that you would forgive us. And you would give us discernment to see where we might be doing this today. And we pray that your spirit would work in us to change our thinking so that we would never prefer anything else over your words to us. In Jesus' name, amen.